This is quasi episode two in our racism series of podcasts at the Germanic American Institute. This is Günther Hosting again. Welcome back to yet another episode. This time we're flipping the script a little bit. Usually we sit in the Dahmens alone or via Zoom and we talk to individuals about their perspectives. This time I just intruded into a classroom. This is the podcast of the Germanic American Institute. Welcome. Welcome. Where Germanic-speaking European countries... Germany. Deutschland. Deutschland. Austria. Österreich. Switzerland. Schweiz. Blend with the Midwestern United States. Hallo. Hallo. Servus. Grüezi. We are here and there. And we invite you to come along on the journey. And since I am in a classroom, there will be a lot of voices, uh, most of which will likely blend as we go through today's episode. One voice, although, that you recognize already is Caro. Caro, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Günther. I'm happy to be here with all of the kids here. So, classroom racism. You are running a project, program, classroom session, week-long excursion into racism what what are we looking at actually today um we are looking at i offer that as a reflection of racism here and racism there there would be germany like how does racism work in germany how is it compared to racism in the u.s what is the same what is different and how do we feel about it And I think, as far as I have uh, come to know everyone in the classroom so far, everybody has pretty significant German experience, correct? Yes? <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm hearing voices, so that's good. So let's see if we can get that conversation started. Um, from so far, the last couple of days that you've actually had that experience uh, within this classroom, comparing racism here in the U.S. to perhaps your experiences in Germany, Is there something that stands out right off the bat? Anyone can grab the microphone. If you would just want to say your name first, and then actually what stands out to you? What is the first thing that's just glaring in your face in terms of similarity or differences? Yes, grab it and let's go. Okay, I'm Gretchen. Hi, Gretchen. Um, I think one big difference is one thing that we talked about yesterday is how lots of the, um, in both America and Germany, this is pretty similar, but in Germany a lot, where the older generation is way more, there's lots of racism there. And that's also because of like what they've experienced and how they were like brought up and the school and the government that they used to have. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How, how did that stand out to you? Um, just how, what we were talking about, about how like more people, or we watched this one clip for, I don't know, it's called Schwarzfahrer. And it's about this old lady and she, they're on a bus and there's a black man who sits next to her and she's just extremely racist and just is talking um, and just saying really rude things about him. And I think, um, and we were talking about that and if we've ever experienced anything or seen something like that. And I think um, um, we were talking about how in Germany that's happened way more or there's been way more experiences like that for people than in America. Is that because we have a better developed transportation system, mass transport, or is it just a, a different reason? What, I, what do you I think? think what we're talking about is because, and it happens mainly in like older generations, mm -hmm. but um, that it's the older people that are doing that in Germany just because like how they were raised. 
but that also happens like there's also that happens a lot in here in America but maybe not in like there's in like in different ways so just question for everyone obviously then sounds to me almost that uh, you think uh, perhaps racism is more pronounced in Germany would that be fair to say or am I a little off uh, target here um, not really I'm Annie uh, not really I think they're just shown uh, racism is just shown in different ways um, like the older generation in Germany was um, like the some of the older people were um, like they spent their childhood in the um, in like during times when Nazis were um, in power and in America um, there were different people in power. So I feel like there are in both in Germany and in America, there is a lot of racism. There's just, they're just shown in different ways sometimes. What would be one of those differences? Um, I feel like in um, some of the examples like that we've seen, like in Schwarzfahrer, it's like, um, I feel like something like that would happen, um, as Gretchen said, so like on transportation, like there's a bunch of people. And I feel like that would happen in both Germany and America. Um Honestly, I don't, I'm not really thinking about many ways right now, but I do feel like it probably, it, there's racism um, in both places and it is there. And um, the problem is sometimes it's hidden um, and it's just, it, people just don't even blink an eye at it because they don't realize that it's racism. What do you mean by hidden racism? Um, like there's, watched some other um videos and movies and whatever and also looked at some um pictures from like children's books and other stuff like that and there's some stuff that like we didn't realize was racism at first but then once it was explained to us it was really clear and it, when i what i mean by hidden racism is it's just it's there but you might not realize it as realize it as fast as you would in other ways. So one of the examples, perhaps, uh, as I stepped into the classroom, there was, uh, you actually wrote it on a whiteboard, Caro, uh, Mordenstrasse in Berlin, which I don't know when it was renamed, but when you actually explored the concept of Mordenstrasse and the, the connotation of what it actually could mean now from a racism perspective, what stood out to you that you previously were unaware of? Gentlemen, over to my right. Grab the mic and let's talk. <laughs> yeah, I'm Leo. First off, um, I think when we were when we were talking about this, I think the first thing that came into my mind was um, kind of the systemic um, ignorance, sort of like how could you have like when you think about it, how could you have a street that's called that and then not do anything about it? Um, and I think um, it was astonishing to me that it took so long to took so long to change it and change the name and stuff. Um, I think it was, it was interesting though. It was, I, th I thought it was actually kind of funny how um, like pro protesters like would like put an umlaut over the, over the O. So it'd be Möhrenstrasse instead of Morgenstrasse, which means carrot street. So um, I think it was a, I think it was a nice way for them to kind of diffuse the tension, but it was still astonishing to me that it took so long to be renamed. 
So going back in time a little bit, uh, based on that, that it took so long, um, I would say Generation X uh, in the 70s, uh, 80s, not to point out uh, anyone in particular, but uh, as we grew up, uh, the older guys in the room here, uh, we had uh, figures of, of larger appearance, like Winnetou, for instance, uh, which stories were written, uh, comic books were published, uh, movies were made. Uh, Karl May uh, was the author. It never really actually stood out to us as offensive. In fact, uh, we we sort of uh, replayed our version of good guy versus bad guy or collaborative efforts, which Winnetou essentially was such a collaborative effort. It would never stood out to us uh, as as offensive or racist. Why why the shift now? What do you think? I think there's more awareness now that um, uh, I guess mostly like how. Um, so first off, like back then, there was less um, people didn't weren't people were a lot more ignorant back then, in my opinion. I think people knew a lot less about what it was like to be um, what it actually was, what it actually was like to be, say, like a racial minority or um, or something like that. People people had no idea what it was like. And and so based only based on the exterior like what they'd seen and stuff and what they'd been exposed to, which was relatively little, um, that was how they formed, that was how those first stereotypes, I think, got formed. And so um, I think now we're recognizing that, hey, these people are so much different than we think. There's not, it's not as black and white as we've portrayed it for the last hundred plus years. Oh, sure. Um, Also, I think because there's way more... Like, with the internet, people are able to communicate with each other more, and they're able to, like, share ideas, and not just that. Like, we like we see, like, videos and all, like, posts, and we just know more about history, and I feel like we're, like, way more, we're, un, um, we're f- remembering our, like, seeing this forgotten history and learning more about the past, so it's making us, we're just able to, like, see stuff, and we're able to communicate with each other and, like, know the problems. I think that's, that's, Quite the astute observation here in a sense that when we grew up, I think there was still sort of this uh, geographic division between what we knew as new as kids uh, growing up with uh, the, the fabled uh, Native Americans. Um, and then now with actually being aware of the history of the U.S., for instance, uh, there is... Uh, uh, I'm guessing you're all familiar with TikTok. Uh, there is one guy in particular who essentially now refers to... Um, let's just call it the white race in the U.S. as colonizers. Now, my question back to you at that point would be, are we seeing some form of reverse racism now? I guess it, I guess it depends, depends on um, interpretation and mm-hmm. how, um, and like what side of the litmus you're on. Um, I think, I mean, it, I mean, white people, white Europeans did colonize the Americas, Christopher Columbus was white, and all the explorers who, who um, ex- well, it discovered the world, in quotes, were all white Europeans. So um, for, in some respects, it'd be a pretty astute observation, I think, to say that, um, that white people, yeah, they were definitely, they definitely were colonizers. That doesn't mean that that's still the case now because that happened so long ago. There's an di- alternate argument. But, um, yeah, I think um, 
I think it also could be seen, though, depending on um, how sensitive you are about that kind of thing. It could also be seen as racism. So it depends on, definitely depends on what side of the litmus you're on. Uh, hi, I'm Lena. So I don't think that you could call it reverse racism because that completely goes against the entire definition of it because white people have never been the minority and they were never the ones who were oppressed. And of course, there are some prejudices against white people, but to call it racism, I think, is a completely different thing. And I don't think it should be called that because it just completely defies the definition. Um, and so I think, sure, there are prejudices, but I don't think that it's really that worth highlighting because we have been oppressing so many different racial minorities for such a long time. And I think they their histories definitely deserve to be recognized because like white people have been so cruel to indigenous people and to black people and to Hispanic people and to Asian people and just so many different groups. The question now is, who is the bad guy? Obviously, by definition, it would be the white explorer and the white colonizer, if you will. How do we escape that? How do we, how do we level the playing fields? Because recognition, I think, is probably not just going to do it. I think um, sort of re-education, because in schools, all we learn about is the white history. All we learn about is Christopher Columbus and all of the colonizers, but we never learned about the indigenous people, and we never learn about sort of Asian history because there are so many things that people in the Middle East, for example, and in Asia sort of invented and discovered even before Europeans, and we never learn about that. And all we learn about is where we come from, and I think learning about something else could be really interesting, and we could also sort of re-educate the younger generation and sort of let them know that the white explorer, the white colonizer, that was not the only thing at that time. And those were not the only people who were discovering and inventing and all of that. So whitewashed history. Yeah, a bit, yeah. Um, not just that, but also we need to like like do recognition, or like sometimes if we just, we just like keep teaching it, but we need to actually do stuff about it. Like for example, the pipeline, that's running through like in South Dakota and the Keystone. Um, Native, yeah, like that's still happening today. So it's even like if we just learn stuff, that's not the only thing we need to do. We need to also just like we need to um, keep doing what we're saying. Does that or, like we need to like follow through with what we're saying and we need to, um, yeah, just show. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, so actions speak louder than yeah, words. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's let's explore that for a second. Selena. I think also through the media, there is so little representation in books and in movies and in TV shows and of people of color, but also of people with different genders and sexualities and highlighting homophobia and sexism and racism and all of those things should be clearer and having more directors of movies of color and of TV shows and authors and stuff like that and just reading and seeing different perspectives and not just the one. The battle to 
repaired those damages, I would say, is is pretty big. Uh, that is not a just a, an easy undertaking. Where would you start? Since we're speaking about actions, about uh, you know more than just words, more than just homage. Uh, so I'm Malik, and so recently with the uh, Black Lives Matter protests and uh, all the uh, protests like for uh, racial equality, it's that's a good step in the right direction. But we need to begin like teaching uh, about different cultures and what uh, like what we did in the past, what white colonizers did in the past, and uh, stuff like that. Okay. Beyond protests, which I think have very much a place in history, particularly right now, what else can we do? Because protests usually are frowned upon by those who don't want to learn. Well, what I'm uh, basically trying to get at here mm -hmm. is that, like, the older generation, we said, is it they were uneducated uh, in, like, racial uh, equality, And it, so like they grew up uh, thinking or having different opinions, whereas now we can educate our generation uh, and have a like a better world. Um, I think also sort of re-educating the police, for example, because that has been such a big conversation for such a long time because um, young African-Americans, young African-American males have been sort of the target group for that for such a long time and also re-educating them. And because I feel almost just as scared of the police as I am of a criminal, for example, and I can't imagine what it's like for them. And I think that we should teach the police to protect and not to harm because For example, what happened to George Floyd, that was just awful. And those are the people who are supposed to be protecting and not harming and hurting. What's your response from Black Lives Matter to Blue Lives Matter? I think that it's almost wrong because, I mean, of course, their lives matter, but that's not the argument. The argument is that Black lives have not mattered for such a long time and their voices have been diminished for such a long time and the police have been in power sort of at the top for so long and it's time to sort of teach them to protect their people from things that are actually bad and not from innocent people who are just going about their day-to-day -day lives. Um, and not just that, but the police, like, they choose to be the police. They're the ones that put the suit on, where a black like, that's their skin. They can't do anything about that. So. so one is a choice. The other one is what you're born into. And we have done, perhaps in summary, Malik, just a second, uh, perhaps in summary, we've done a really good job uh, empowering those who made a choice and disregarding those who did not have that opportunity to make that choice. Uh, um, back to the Blue Lives Matter. So it's, the Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter is really just a terrible mindset. It's it's not like that not all lives matter. It's just that Black Lives Matter, it's talking about how like black people have been oppressed and right now they're the ones that need help. It's not 
all people like I don't know. No, no, no it yeah. makes sense. It makes sense. So you 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 picked up uh, on what I would call just simply communication, talking to one another, meeting each other, yeah. and and clearing the air, I suppose, uh, resetting that which is perhaps uh, has been wrong for so many uh, centuries, I suppose. But what does the dialogue look like? Because the argument that was brought to my attention was we have to meet those who were oppressed by the colonizers, the explorers, people who capitalized on uh, somebody's lands, that we can't expect them to meet us halfway. We need to meet them where they are. Would that sort of get to you? Because I see heads nodding. So, Lena. I think also the way housing is done here is just kind of, awful because um this is sort of a historic very historic problem and that um lots of black neighborhoods are like right by a highway for example and they're just in that one place and lots of the predominantly whiter neighborhoods are a lot more affluent and i think that that needs to change and that it we should give them support and better housing and it just there needs to be more equality in where the communities and houses are um that also like with redlining that also has to do with um right now because there's so like there's such a difference in like the income like or like how redlining has changed the history of where everybody lives to or like where everyone lives today and also like the resources that people have in those areas that needs to be changed, I think. And I just think that people need, like, even, like, in in Minnesota, like, in Minneapolis and St. Paul and the Twin Cities, there's so much, like, there's not even that, like, there's diversity, but there's still, people are still so separated because of what has happened in the past. And there's, like, people just need to, we need to be able to, if we're lower income in these areas, more people can move in and the neighborhoods can become more diverse, which will make it overall better for everybody. Um, and also with like housing, we actually learned this in school. There's um, some of the older houses have like um, the owners had these documents that then prohibited any people of color to live in those houses, to have those houses be sold to people of color. And some of those are still here today. So that's also a problem with housing. There are fair housing laws that should prevent all this, that should uh, allow for a modicum of equality across the board where neighborhoods are just uh, encompassing all uh, the potential um, residents. Yet it seems, based on your assessment, that this is simply not taking place. So those who are in control, the landlords, are happily, or perhaps on purpose and not so happily, violating uh, existing laws. Why, why does this continue? It goes, I think, all the way back to the beginning, because nowadays, preschool, you have to pay thousands of dollars for it. And because of the wage gap, lots of African-American families and families of color are not able to pay for it. And then when their child goes into kindergarten, they've lost three or four years where some white children have already learned some stuff. And then they are behind for their entire life, and it's very hard for them to catch up. And then lots of times they're not able to get into college, and then they have to work very 
very low-income jobs. And so then it's sort of this wage gap. And so then they don't have the ability to buy these houses because they don't get a larger income because they don't have the right resources. So you're connecting economic opportunity to academic opportunity. Amazon does this a lot. Jeff Bezos being a billionaire and a white man who owns this ginormous company. And he's basically just capitalizing, like you said, on all of these, all of these people, lots of people of color getting a really, really low wage and not essentially getting anything of the company. And this white man at the top just gets everything and all he decides to do with it is make this ginormous yacht and <laughs> spend all his money on himself and not do anything so. productive with it. I'm, I'm going to take the contrarian point here for just one second, even though up front I do agree with you to 100%. But what Jeff Bezos represents is the American dream, coming from very little, creating Amazon out of, uh, I think he almost started in a garage or sort of a shoebox kind of uh, size office, started selling books, recognized there is more opportunity, and uh, Amazon became what it is today. And... It satisfies sort of this American ideal of uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, bootstrings, bootstraps, I think, um, and just rising through the ranks, uh, ranks that he did not belong into because of family inheritance, but simply because of something that he created from scratch. Now, doesn't this stand in contrast with everything that should be? Or is it still the, yay, let's applaud this guy because he fulfilled the American dream and it's available to anyone because this is what we commonly say, right? I think to some extent the American dream, at some point it should stop. Because at some point someone should not be able to have that much money and that much power and to be able to just spend it all on himself when he could give so many families such great opportunities because he has so much money and there are other families that are barely able to have two meals a day because of what little money they have. And so I think at some point it should end and it's also an sort of an outdated concept because... I mean, it should not, one person should not be able to have all of this money when some people are suffering so much. Is yeah. it, Leo? Oh, sorry, if I may add, um, I totally agree with what Lena said. Um, I guess just to add on to that, um, it's hard to believe how biased the system itself is, but it's so biased towards... Um, towards people who already have like a um, have like a start to stuff. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's hard if you if you come from nothing, it's hard to um, it's hard to make ends meet, but it's even harder and it shouldn't be, but it, it's even harder if you're um, if you're not white. And I think um, like Nina said that the system like in the ideal of the American dream and stuff is, radically radically outdated and i think um 
I think there should be like a new um, kind of a new ideal of um, not just like making it, but also doing good in the world with what you do and helping those who are who are struggling because I, th- I don't think it should go to the levels that it's going now either. So, yeah. And it's kind of a cycle too, for the people who are rich, keep getting richer um, because they have the money to do it. And then they like, they do like, for example, like with Amazon, like um, Jeff Bezos, he, he is rich and then he sells and then he gets more money. And then the people who don't have, who are, who don't have a job, um, they have little money and then they don't have a, um, and then it's usually hard to get a job, mm-hmm. um, like a, a well-paying job if you're struggling. Um, or that's also a thing. Like if, if you're white, you're more likely to get a job. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just a cycle that's really bad. I think also it has to do with taxes because so many rich people barely have to pay taxes and they have so much so so much money and then people who have less money have to pay more more taxes and i think it's it's just because there are so many people of color because of the systemic racism they end up having to pay more taxes and the rich people like annie said just keep getting richer and they have to pay so little taxes and i just think that that needs to change how much of your position and your perspective about racism has existed before entering this classroom and how much has it changed perhaps gotten stronger or adapted through this classroom yeah i think it was already i already had a pretty big um kind of awareness of it i um, but I feel like now, um, now while we're as we're talking about these and bringing up more and more things that um, that are either racist or radically radically insensitive, um, I think the more things we bring up, the more the I guess the more the more we see how um, how systemic this kind of thing is and um, how much it affects even our lives and stuff. So. Um, I feel it's a lot more, um, it surrounds us a lot more than we think. I think that's what I've learned most from this. I was going to say that the first time that I really sort of like saw racism, especially in the media, was when I watched um, Hidden Figures. And so I watched that movie and I just thought, oh my God, that actually happened. And they actually had to go through that because it is based on a true story. And I just thought that that's just horrible. And it's awful that these amazingly smart women did not get that opportunity at first. And I also agree with Leo in that my, my sort of, I don't know what I, how I think that it's a bad thing has gotten even stronger and i just think that it needs to be confronted and stopped even more than i already did before i think through this course it's been really interesting learning about how like there's racism in germany and how it's different and like different or just like the different groups or like different like how different people are first um perceived 
in the different countries. And I just, like, I think that's been, like, it just, well, it makes you super, like, very upset. And I think also, like, with Lena, how you've gotten way more, like, just crazy learning about these things and how, just in both countries, how still terrible and strong it is in some cases. Yeah, I'm going to agree with, like, what Lena and Gretchen and Leo have all been saying. Like, I already... Um, I already thought learning about racism was really important and like that it needs to be stopped. And yeah, during this, um, during this, during these classes, I've learned a lot more and like, again, like how systemic it is and how much it's there, even when we don't realize it. And yeah. As you, or as we've talked about, uh, words versus action, I'm just going to individually pick on each one of you and just uh, I wonder what is going to be one future action of yours that will bring um, more equality to our society. Um, so I really want to be an author when I grow up and I just want to make sure that I make my books or my um, articles or whatever I decide to write as diverse as possible. So when I'm writing an article, I want to highlight racism and just how bad it is. If it is still as bad as it is today, I sure hope not. But I want to highlight it and I just want to sort of make sure that if they read something, almost every person can find a bit of themselves in a character. And um, I also 100% want to go to protests and I want to read and educate myself about it. And if I ever see something going on, something very racist, I will 100% stand up for it and call it out and make note of it and make sure that people, other people see it and see how horrible it is and how much it needs to be prevented. I don't really know what um, what everything I do will be, but I, I do want to um, stand up against racism and, like, some things I know I can do pretty easily are, like, go to protests and support um, organizations and businesses um, that help or are run by um, people of color and yeah just help out as much as I can even in the small ways um already I go to like protests and I try to support or like get messages around for people or like black voices or just try to support the BLM movement as much as I can and I also try to like for example if there's um like for example a man that's like wrongly convicted or something like that I also try to like call um places to try to get like the message around more um I just I don't know exactly like I want to do more things but I don't know I don't know exactly what else I should do I just really want to try to like highlight or just get the message around and try to highlight black voices I guess yeah so I also go to protests pretty frequently um and I've I've already written a good amount of letters to say like our um, like when when I lived in I used to live in Texas before moving up here. Um, 
I um, down there, um, there were lots of there was a lot of um, there were several BLM protests. Mostly, um, there were lots of um, killings and stuff that were going on down there. And I wrote the um, I wrote our Congress people. I wrote our our mayor. Our, our um, who else? I wrote our council, our local council member. I wrote our district attorney. I wrote lots of people who I thought would be able to um, to make changes and stuff. And I think even a, a couple of them have. Even um, so, I wrote. So, for example, I wrote a letter to the to our local mayor in June, and in July he he'd gotten like nine hundred letters, and so he he made a pledge to. Um, I forgot exactly what it was, but he made a he made a pledge toward encouraging diversity in a grand scale and stuff. And so I feel like I'm definitely going to do more of that when I grow up. I'm also going to I definitely like to be an artist of some kind or an author and highlight that and highlight diversity um, as much as I can and call out basically, yeah, call out racism when I see it, um, whether it be in the media or mainstream or um even on the bus or whatever i'm i'd like to i'd like to be there and call it out and be like hey that's not okay so so yeah so i would also like to attend protests and support different movements and for example when i would in general if i would hear someone uh saying something just that is generally racist instead of arguing with them, I would share a different point of view and maybe try and like show them how else they could think about it in a different way. And I will keep on doing all those workshops to meet all those great teenage kids and share all their visions and dreams. And I will provide a platform where we can say whatever we think without being afraid of getting chastised. I think this is the perfect opportunity to actually stop here. And let me just be transparent with every one of you who listens here. When I entered this idea of the podcast today, I entered this with a sort of shaky frame of mind in terms of, well, what can possibly come out of this that is of... Um, Let's just say significance. And I don't know what age average we have in the room here, but I would say between 14 and 15, 15, 16 in the neighborhood. And it is so tempting to say, thanks, kids. But I think that'd be wrong. I think we are squarely at, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. And if you entered this podcast in any sense of the same frame of mind that I have, you might find yourself just as surprised as I am, just as thankful and, well, actually, just as in awe. We're going to let it sit like this. We will definitely come back to that. Re-listen to this episode. There's a lot going on and a lot of future. Thanks for being with us. Until next time, this is Gunther signing off. Tschüss.